Hey friends, this is Matt Sewell. You're listening to episode 30 of the Popecast, the podcast for people who like learning about the popes and the history of Christendom, but don't like to be bored. On this week's episode, it's another one of the bad popes. This guy loved partying so much and was so bad at managing money that one contemporary said he spent three pontificates worth of dough. Everything from the guy before him, all of his own money, and all of his successors. Oh, and Martin Luther was stirring up a rebellion, and this pope didn't do much to stop it. Coming in at number 217, it's the Pope of the Protestant Reformation, Pope Leo X. Giovanni de' Medici was as renaissance as a kid from the nobility could be. Born in Florence, Italy, to one of the most powerful and renowned Roman families in history in 1475, young Giovanni, as the Catholic Encyclopedia recounts, quote, from his earliest youth was destined for the church, end quote. It's uh, still shocking to even say these words aloud, but Giovanni received the tonsure and was made abbot of the monastery of Fontduce at just seven and eight years old, respectively. The tonsure being the shaving of the crown of one's head as a sign of joining a specific religious order. And of course, such an assignment, known then as a benefice, was effectively just to give the office holder a cushy income. And Giovanni's powerful father, Lorenzo the Magnificent, made a habit of collecting benefices for his young son to pad the family income. In addition to Fonduce, uh, Giovanni was also given possession of the Abbey of Passadano at age 9 and Monte Cassino at age 11 in 1486. Dear old dad wasn't satisfied, though, and got to work leaning on his relative, Pope Innocent VIII, to make the kid a cardinal, a request that was finally granted two years later when Giovanni was 13 years old, but on one condition, that he couldn't officially claim his red hat nor take part in the sacred college's activities for three years. In that time, Giovanni was educated in theology and canon law at the University of Pisa, where listeners of the last episode of the Popecast will remember that Giovanni made friends with the future Pope Paul III, a man six years his senior. On March 9, 1492, just five months before Columbus sailed the ocean blue, Giovanni de' Medici had bestowed on him the insignia of a cardinal and later that month finally was able to join his brothers in consistory presided over by Innocent VIII. The Catholic Encyclopedia notes how, quote, the Romans found the youthful cardinal more mature than his age might warrant them to expect, end quote, and how his father, Lorenzo, wrote his teenage son a letter where he, quote, enjoins upon his son certain rules of conduct and admonishes him to be honorable, virtuous, and exemplary, the more so as the College of Cardinals at that time was deficient, in these good qualities, end quote. The next 20 years for Giovanni were a bit of a whirlwind. His father died just a month after his elevation to the Cardinalate, which beckoned him back to his hometown of Florence. He would then return to Rome for the Papal Conclave of 1492 in August, incidentally the first ever to be held in the Sistine Chapel, where Giovanni would oppose the election of possibly the worst of the bad popes, Alexander VI. Following the conclave, Giovanni returned to Florence, only to be expelled just a couple years after following a local uprising, protesting his family's half-century rule over the area. Giovanni then fled the region in the habit of a Franciscan friar and would bounce around Germany, the Netherlands, and France for the better part of the following decade. At the turn of the century, Cardinal Medici returned to Rome, 
being welcomed by Alexander VI on the surface, but of course being merely tolerated by him beneath it after having opposed his election. He spent the next few years immersed in arts and literature, being a patron of it where he could, but apparently being reduced to being penniless due to being terrible at managing his own finances, something we haven't heard the last of, mind you. Thankfully, Giovanni was still keeping in mind the advice his father had given him all those years earlier and still conducted himself with dignity and conduct beyond reproach, making him a fan among his fellow cardinals and other contemporaries. It was those traits and good timing that actually brought him favor with the ailing Pope Julius II. Giovanni's own ambition to be the next pope certainly didn't hurt, by the way. He was sent to Bologna and Romagna in 1511, then was assigned to the papal armies of all things the next year, something the author H.W. Crocker in his great book Triumph recounts as, quote, an odd task for such a jovial and well-fed man as he was known to be, end quote. All this culminated in the Medici family being restored to power in Florence in late 1512, foreshadowing, perhaps, the good fortune that was about to continue for the 38-year-old cardinal. Julius II died on February 21st, 1513, and 18 days later, Giovanni would become Pope Leo X, the 216th successor of St. Peter. Supported by most of the younger cardinals in conclave, his election was apparently met with pretty high hopes on the part of many diverse groups Leo had been chummy with over the years. Politicians, arts, artists, and scholars for whom Leo had been a patron, and theologians, all of those alike. The Catholic Encyclopedia has perhaps at the same time the most savage and most picturesque description of this pope's appearance and demeanor. It reads, Leo's personal appearance has been perpetuated for us in Raphael's celebrated picture at the Pitti Gallery in Florence, which represents him with Cardinals Medici and Rossi. He was not a handsome man. His fat, shiny, effeminate countenance with weak eyes protrudes in the picture from under a close-fitting cap. The unwieldy body is supported by thin legs. His movements were sluggish, and during ecclesiastical functions, his corpulence made him constantly wipe the perspiration from his face and hands to the distress of the bystanders. But when he laughed or spoke, the unpleasant impression vanished. He had an agreeable voice, knew how to express himself with elegance and vivacity, and his manner was easy and gracious. His contemporaries all praised and admired Leo's unfailing good temper, which he never entirely lost, even in adversity and trouble. Himself cheerful, he wished to see others cheerful. He was good-natured and liberal and never refused a favor either to his relatives or fellow Florentines." End quote. Unfortunately for Leo, it wasn't so much that he was an, an impious man. In fact, many contemporaries, including his enemies, agree that Leo was committed in his recitation of daily prayers and solemn celebrations. It was just that he'd perhaps gotten a bit too used to the Medici family lifestyle to give it up after becoming Pope. It's unfounded, uh, I'll note, that Leo X, upon his election to the papacy, exclaimed, Let us enjoy the papacy since God has given it to us. But that quote, even though it was spurious, certainly wasn't inaccurate, and the word enjoy may be putting it too lightly. Leo spared no expense when it came to the size of his court, the banquets and extravagances he provided, and the pleasure he sought. Thankfully, his generosity didn't discriminate, at least, for actual charitable works. He equally lavished gifts on convents, hospitals, schools, pilgrims, and the like, but before it was said and done, one author quipped that Leo had, quote, consumed three pontificates, the treasure of Julius II, the revenues of his own reign, and those of his successor. 
Incredibly, Julius II's vast sums had entirely been depleted in just two years. Leo never recovered from the financial embarrassment that probably would have, shall we say, curled what's left of Dave Ramsey's hair. By today's standards, Leo X spent over his eight years in the chair of Peter the equivalent of $675 million in today's dollars out of the papal office alone. To his credit, though, Rome under Leo X flourished as a bastion of culture in such a way that hadn't been seen in centuries. Indeed, uh, historian Will Durant writes that the sheer quantity of culture had never been equaled, quote, not even in Periclean Athens or Augustan Rome, end quote. Leo had surrounded himself with such figures as Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Raphael, who was supposedly his favorite, Bramante, Ariosto, and tons of others. But such extravagance, for its own sake, is never without consequences, of course. When Leo went broke, his fundraising schemes, including the irresponsible manner of selling indulgences throughout Europe, would spark the ire and denunciation of one Martin Luther, an overscrupulous German monk. We all know the story of Luther's 95 Theses, of course, nailed to the door of Wittenberg Cathedral some 500 years ago, but few know the part that Leo played in spurring that along. Namely, that the Pope did nothing to really stop the growing Protestant sensibility. At least nothing that really helped. It's as though Pope St. Paul VI's words were ringing in the ears of those who were looking first at Leo's deeds, no matter how good or pious or true his words denouncing Luther as a heretic were. Paul VI, of course, said, Modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers, and if he does listen to teachers, it is because they are witnesses. Leo X's witness was clear enough. He was, at the same time, too wrapped up in imperial elections in France and with his own obsession with worldly pleasures to toss much more than a couple strongly worded letters in Luther's direction. Big whoop. Although, to be fair, of course, the seeds of the Reformation, or the Protestant Revolt, as it's also been called, has been, had been sowed for centuries, so it was hardly only Leo X's fault. But it was still, unquestionably, the most cataclysmic event for the Church since the fall of the Roman Empire. Leo X, known widely to be an avid hunter, died after contracting a sudden illness while in the field. On December 1st, 1521, he was only 46 years old. Sadly, the illness was so sudden and took his life so swiftly that he wasn't even able to receive the last sacraments before his death. Aside from his rightful spot among the notorious quote-unquote bad popes, a popular trope to dunk on Leo is the sort is a story that, after a friend had quoted a passage to him from the Gospels, that Leo replied, How profitable that fable of Christ has been to us and our company. Now, thankfully, that quote is likely completely and utterly false, having been a line in a play written decades after Leo's death by a polemical anti-Catholic source. It's still really striking, just in general, and strange, frankly, that Leo X could possess such a profound mix of good and bad qualities. In terms of his own conduct, though his depth of spiritual life maybe could hardly have been more than a kiddie pool, uh, given his other extravagances, he's nearly universally praised Uh, even after his death. So David Hume, the prominent philosopher, as one example, said of the Pope that he was, quote, one of the most illustrious princes that ever sat on the papal throne. Humane, beneficent, generous, affable, the patron of every art and friend of every virtue, end quote. And even Luther himself conceded in a conciliatory letter to Leo, quote, 
Indeed, the published opinion of so many great men and the repute of your blameless life are too widely famed and too much reverenced throughout the world to be assailed by any man of however great name or by any arts. I am not so foolish to attack one whom everybody praises, end quote. In the end, I guess it's just rather sad. Leo X appears to have possessed some real promise and real good qualities, and perhaps if he were born in a different age or with a different family background, he may well have been a better pope or a better man. But then again, God's grace is sufficient, and it's up to us to recognize and accept or reject it in order to move our life towards uh, greater holiness or not. And Leo, of course, was no exception to that rule. And it's also sad because if we had more of a witness in this worst of our popes, Leo, perhaps words like this excerpt from his document, Exerge Domine, condemning the errors of Martin Luther would have packed more of a punch. So here's Leo to qu- close out this episode. Rise, Peter, and fulfill this pastoral office divinely entrusted to you, as mentioned above. Give heed to the cause of the Holy Roman Church, mother of all churches and teacher of the faith, whom you by the order of God have consecrated by your blood. Against the Roman Church you warned lying teachers are rising, introducing ruinous sects and drawing upon themselves speedy doom. Their tongues are fire, a restless evil full of deadly poison. They have bitter zeal, contention in their hearts, and boast and lie against the truth. We beseech you also, Paul, to arise. It was you that enlightened and illuminated the church by your doctrine and by a martyrdom like Peter's. For now a new porphyry rises, who, as the old once wrongfully assailed the holy apostles, now assails the holy pontiffs, our predecessors. Rebuking them in violation of your teaching, instead of imploring them, he is not ashamed to assail them, to tear at them, and when he, Martin Luther, despairs of his cause, to stoop to insults. He is like the heretics, quote, whose last defense, as Jerome says, is to start spewing out a serpent's venom with their tongue when they see that their causes are about to be condemned, and spring to insults when they see that they are vanquished. For although you have said that there must be heresies to test the faithful, still they must be destroyed at their very birth by your intercession and help, so they do not grow or wax strong like your wolves, end quote. Still pretty salty, for whatever it's worth. But well, that's it for this paper bio. But before we go, I want to share an email from Steve, one of our listeners. Steve wrote in, many thanks for your very informative podcast. I have a Protestant background and continue to worship in a Protestant church, but I very much appreciate the legacy and authority of the Catholic Church, the respectful and yet honest way in which you treat your subject matter is so inspiring. I'm grateful for the effort you put into these podcasts, and I hope they are a blessing to you to the same extent that they are a blessing to me. Thank you very much, Steve. I know I replied back to your email, but I wanted to share this on the podcast because it was it was very humbling to know that there are more than just uh, Catholics and maybe Catholic nerds, for that matter, who listen to this this podcast. I'm, uh, I do this as kind of a passion project, as I've said before, just because I love the history of the Pope, so it's really great to know that there are folks from all stripes out there who are uh, edified by these histories as well. So thanks again, Steve. Um, And then again, thank you always to everybody for listening. That's it for this episode of the Popecast. Uh, One quick favor that I'd love to ask of you guys, if you haven't yet, five stars only, of course, but please leave us a rating or a review of the Popecast at iTunes. Doing that 
will help to boost the podcast in uh, podcast rankings and make it more likely to be found and heard by others. Plus, of course, if you leave a review, we'll read it aloud on a future episode and uh, would love to give you guys a shout out. Uh, one last thing, too, if you'd like to become a patron of the, the podcast or just maybe share an episode with friends, you can easily find us at thepopecast.fm and to become a patron support us on patreon you can just click the become a patron link at thepopecast.fm is our website uh, the next two po- uh, patrons who join us at the the two dollar or above level will also get a limited edition limited edition podcast sticker to put on your laptop or hydro flask to make all the other non-patrons jealous uh, so one, one more time, that's thepopecast.fm. And in the meantime, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for uh, daily quotes and uh, nice pictures from uh, from papal history and different things um, at The Popecast. So as we close this episode, let us pray for the soul of Pope Leo X and ask the intercession of all of our sainted and blessed popes in heaven that we may one day experience Christian unity once again. Until next time.